Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today. And for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. Dear Heavenly Father, I'd like to thank you for this time of worship and fellowship that we have. I thank you for the ability to air our message out to all those who are unable to make it. I know that there are fears in this world and worries and concerns, and I ask you to comfort those and shelter those who need your hope and your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. This morning we're going to be reading 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 9 through 14. But before we get to that, while you're looking it up, life is full of ups and downs. If we think that life is all about being happy, we will be sorely disappointed in life. If we think that all God wants for us is to be happy and healthy and rich, then we will think that our faith in God has failed us if we are not happy, healthy, or rich. The Bible teaches us that we will have difficult times. Christians are not immune to the struggles of life. We are not here to live our best life now. We don't live our best life until we get to heaven. We are called to live and work and struggle in a world corrupted by sin. And we do this so that we may grow in sanctification and glorify God in all that he calls us to do. We as humans are prone to being controlled and driven by our emotions. One minute we are happy as can be, and the next minute, without any pressure at all, we are down in the depths of despair. Mm -hmm. One moment we can be on top of the world, jumping for joy, and the next moment we can be choking the life out of it. God knows exactly what he has planned next, Mm -hmm. and he is safe to trust regardless of how we feel. The truth is that none of us know exactly what we will face in the future. But no matter how uncertain the future may seem, we need to remember that God's people have been here before. Remember Elijah. He was oppressed by an evil dictatorship, a completely pagan environment, and he thought he was the last believer on earth, but God was in control. He had a game plan, and he was going to reveal his glory to a nation that was submerged in wickedness, which brings us to 1 Kings 
19, starting at verse 9. And here he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was that Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenants torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. God asks Elijah, what are you doing here? God hadn't misplaced Elijah. He didn't not know his geographical location, and he wasn't saying, hey, what's a nice guy like you doing in a crazy place like this? The question is this. Elijah, why have you chosen? Why have you made the decision to be where you are? We all know why Elijah was there. He was afraid. So he ran away. He was afraid of the wicked queen and afraid of the king, and he was afraid for his life, so he ran. Mm -hmm. The thing he did do was run to the mountain of God the holy place, and into a cave, which was his place of refuge. And if we're going to run, we might as well run to our Lord and take refuge in him. Amen. Psalm 91, 2 says, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I will trust. When we run to him, we can find hope. We can find help safety, security, and a renewed sense of purpose. What are we doing here in worship and fellowship? We're getting renewed, we're getting restored, and we're getting revived. When God asks this question, he always has a new mission in mind. If we read the end of this chapter, we will discover that God was not through with Elijah because there was still much for him to do. God asks Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 18, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. One of the things that was still left for Elijah to do was to make way for a new generation. 
He was to become a mentor for Elisha and train him to know and serve God and unite all of those followers, which would be a faithful army of God. God basically tells Elijah that it may not be clear to you, but you're not the only game in town. There are 7,000 more people out there, but I need you to make way for that generation. Living here in America is a blessing, and sometimes we can view it as a curse. The blessings are obviously apparent in our freedoms, especially our freedom to worship openly. But the curse seems to be that the light of our God is growing dim in our country. The oil that keeps that flame burning appears not to be being replenished. People claiming to be Christians are allowing fear to control their actions and cause them to act in a very unchristian-like way. I heard of a church here in Alpine that received curses and threats from people who started their cursing with, I am a Christian, but... God has been taken out of our schools. He has been taken out of almost every aspect of our daily lives. A nation that was founded on a strong faith and belief in God is now turning its back on God and doing what is right in their own eyes. Now, whether you like it or not, we are in the midst of God's wake-up call. What are the odds that God is not looking down right now at us and saying, what are you doing? When God asks Elijah that, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, have torn down your altars and killed your prophets. Your, I am the only one left and they seek my life. God pretty much ignored Elijah's self-justification and reason for being on the mountain. Instead, he offers him instructions that would result in a special revelation about the Lord and his method of operation. Elijah is told to come out of the cave and stand before the Lord. Remember this cave represented Elijah's human strategy for refuge, the product of his wrong focus and wrong thinking. Is it possible that the Lord was rejecting Elijah's solution and was showing him that he alone should be Elijah's refuge? The Bible reminds us that the world has been on the brink of disaster on more than one occasion. We may be inclined to lose worry or lose hope, but God reminds us that nothing can circumvent his plans or change his purpose for our lives and the world. Proverbs 21.30 says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. In 
uncertain world awakens us from our self-satisfaction and provides us a tremendous opportunity for harvesting souls. But the question is, how do we prepare to face the future with wisdom, with boldness, and with purpose? How are we to find clarity in these times of uncertainty, literal chaos, mass hysteria, and fear? A renowned ethicist named John Kavanaugh met Mother Teresa. She asked, what can I do for you? Kavanaugh said, can you pray for me? What do you want me to pray for, she asked. He responded that he had come a long way from the United States just to find direction. Pray that I have clarity. She firmly said, no, I will not do that. When asked why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. Kavanaugh commented on how she always seemed to have the clarity that he wanted. She laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. There is something in all of us that wants clarity. It is part of our sinful ego and our common expression of our insecurities. Clarity can become an idol that replaces authentic trust in God. In many ways, we would rather understand the details of the road ahead than faithfully trust a God who has promised to direct our every step. It's like driving at night. Our headlights only light up the road directly in front of us, but every one of us would drive through the night trusting that the road is still right outside of those high beams. Like driving at night, we must have faith. We must trust. We must have certainty that God is still there working, even if we can't see him. That's right. Even if what he is doing is not clear to us. He has never promised to show us a detailed roadmap or a 10-year plan of our life. Clarity can actually become spiritually counterproductive because it shortchanges trust shortchanges a life of faith and a moment-by-moment -moment dependence on God. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. We must pour out our hearts and all that they contain, our praise, our gratitude, our worry, our sorrow, our fears, our doubts, and our uncertainty. God is our in-the-moment refuge, but he is not a divine GPS system. He does not give us the details of every turn we might encounter today, tomorrow, or a year down the road. 
We must trust in God at all times, even when he isn't giving us turn-by-turn instructions or even when he says, make the next possible U-turn. In the great faith chapter, Hebrews 11, we are reminded that trust is strongest when clarity is dim or non-existent. Noah built an ark while waiting 120 years for an unprecedented rainfall. Sarah was told to trust God for a child in her old age with no clarity as to how it would happen. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going and later planned to sacrifice his own son without clarity as to why he was supposed to be doing it or what the outcome may be. The stories are extensive and the truth is unmistakable. Faith flourishes when we are trusting God at the deepest level with a willingness to let go of our insistence for clarity. We often want to chart the course, but the Bible says walk by faith. We insist on a strategic plan, but Jesus just says, follow me. We want all the answers, but the Lord tells us to trust him because of what we know to be true about his character. As we go through uncertain and unclear days, we must realize the gift that we have been given. Faith, not clarity, is the single most important ingredient to a life pleasing to God. It is natural for us to always want to be precise. We always seem to be trying to accurately predict what will happen next. It is monumentally unfortunate that we look on our lack of clarity as a bad thing. We think that we must reach some predetermined goal, but that is not the true life of faith, the true faith built on a love for God. The nature of the faithful life is that we are certain in our uncertainty. Our common sense says, what if we were in that circumstance? But the reality is we cannot even guess what it would be like to live in any circumstance in which we have never lived in. Certainty and the desire for clarity is the mark of a common sense life. Mm -hmm. Gracious uncertainty is the mark of a life rooted in faith in God. Our only certainty is that we are uncertain in all our ways, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. This uncertainty should be an expression of expectation. We are unclear of our next step, but we are certain of God. As soon as we abandon ourselves to God, we begin to be filled with surprises. We begin to be filled with joy, happiness, strength, and comfort. 
when we become simply a promoter or a defender of a particular faith or particular belief, something inside of us dies. That is, not believing God. It is only believing our belief about him. A true life of faith is as the life of a child. We must look at everything with awe and wonder and trust. If our certainty is only in our beliefs, we develop a sense of self-righteousness. We become overcritical, and we are limited by the view that our beliefs are complete and settled. When we say that we are certain that our beliefs are right, then our certainty is not rooted in God. It is rooted in what someone behind the pulpit or what some great author of a great theological doctrine tells us we should believe. Every one of us should be certain of God. When we have the right relationship with God, life is full of spontaneous Amen. and joyful uncertainty. In John 14:1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He did not say, believe only in certain things about me. We must leave everything to him. And it will be wonderfully uncertain how he will come, but we can be certain that he will come. We must always remain faithful to God just as he has always remained faithful to us. We can be certain that God is always present, but it is important that we understand that God does not always reveal himself in powerful and miraculous ways. Right. In 1 Kings 19, we read about the strong wind, the earthquake, and the fire, but it wasn't until he heard the still, small voice, the whisper, that Elijah went out to meet God. If we only look for God in something big like rallies or crusades or revivals or in powerful acts of faith like martyrdom, missions to war-stricken country, or having doors open during a pandemic, we may miss him That's right. in the gentle whispering and the quietness of a humble heart. Mm -hmm. We may miss him in the man alone across the street seeking God in the worn pages of his leather-bound Bible. We may miss him in the family on Pitts Valley Road gathered around the piano while mom plays hymns. We may miss him in the husband and wife who faithfully read their devotionals every morning. Sadly, we often miss his presence because we are hoping for a loud, billowing voice from heaven that says, what are you doing? In the beginning of the book of Habakkuk, he asks God to tell him what he is doing. This is what God says in Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look among the nations and watch 
be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. Billy Graham talked about this subject in one of his sermons. He said, Habakkuk said, Lord, please tell me what you're doing. And God said, no, I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing, Habakkuk, because if I told you, you wouldn't believe me anyway. If God were to tell us today what he were doing in this world, we would not believe it. Don't think that God has given up. Don't think that God has left the throne because he hasn't. He is still on the throne, and those who put their trust in him and him alone, he stands beside. I do not trust Washington. I do not trust the United Nations. I don't trust myself. I don't even trust my money, but I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. When all the rest of it fails, crumbles, and shatters, he will be there. Billy Graham said it much better than I could have. <laughs> to trust God in the midst of uncertainty is to step into the unknown in faith, by faith. Stepping into the unknown sharpens our faith, our spiritual maturity, and dependency on Christ. If we think that we have to have it all together and we have to have all the answers to every single solitary question, guess what? We don't. We simply need to reach to God and rest in him and know that he will lead us through every season of our life and we can be certain he will. Life here on earth is uncertain. There will be bad times and there will be bad people. We cannot predict every season that we will go through and having free will means that we cannot easily predict the evil that someone will or will not do. There is no clarity in our lives. We don't know what will happen from one day to the next and what seems to scare people the most is that we are all appointed a time to die, but nobody knows when that time will be. There is only one real certainty, aside from the fact that we will all die, is that where we're going after we die. The truth is, we can be certain about where we will spend eternity. We can know with certainty when we die, we will go to heaven. But many people struggle with the certainty of their salvation, especially new believers. How can we know that we stand good with God? Because the Bible teaches us the assurance of salvation. Our Certainty is based on the absolute trustworthiness of Scripture. Throughout the New Testament, we read God's promises to save everybody who believes in his Son. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This promise is unbreakable. God 
does not lie. All who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ have the confidence of salvation based upon the infallibility of God's word. Jesus said in John 6.37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. If you come to Jesus with genuine repentance in your heart and faith, he promises that he will save you. We can know Jesus has received us because he said so. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And what God says he will do, you can bet that he will do it. He will save all who call upon Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have his word on it. Our certainty rests also on the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he bore our iniquities, enduring God's wrath. And he cried out in John 19.30, It is finished. By this, he meant that the full atonement for all of our sins, past, present, and future, has been made. His work of redemption was now complete. Our debt has been paid in full. Just as salvation comes from believing in Christ alone, so does our certainty. As we trust in Christ's perfect sacrifice for our sin, the certainty of our eternal life floods our hearts. No matter how great our sin, God's grace is greater. The Bible says in Isaiah 1, verse 18, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be like be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. We also have a certainty that comes through the inward witness of the Holy Spirit, a divinely produced gift. This assurance is bestowed by God's Spirit to all true believers. It is the Holy Spirit's ministry to convince our hearts of our salvation. In actuality, no preacher, no evangelist, no parent, no friend can give us assurance. Neither can we work it up within ourselves. Only the Holy Spirit can give us the absolute certainty of our salvation. The Bible says in 1 John 4.13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Romans 8.16 says, The spirit himself bears witness within our spirit that we are children of God. This means the Holy Spirit who convicted us, called us, and converted us also convinces us that we belong to Jesus this is the Spirit's inward witness that persuades us 
of the genuineness of our salvation. And again, our certainty comes through evidence of a changed life. Ultimately, certainty is confirmed within us as we see God conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. All who have been born again will see clear evidences of a new life in Christ. We will never become perfect in this life, but we will experience a changed life. It is the inward transformation that makes us certain of our salvation. 1 John 2, 3 says, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. In other words, we may be certain that we know Christ as we see within ourselves a willingness, a desire to be obedient to God's word. John also writes other signs that will follow like love for other people, love for God, refusing the world, understanding biblical truth, righteous behavior, opposition from the world, and answered prayer. As we see this spiritual fruit produced in our lives, we may be confident that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, lives within us. We have to understand that God is not limited by time, space, circumstances, seasons, or even our lack of clarity and faith. God continues to be God regardless, and we can be certain of that. Thank you for choosing Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. As always, we will welcome you back again with open arms, open hearts, open minds, and open Bibles with your host, Pastor Robert. Blessings to you all.